Uh, tonight's Bible reading comes from Mark 5, verse 21, and it can be found on page 816 of the Pew Bibles. Give you a minute to find it. When Jesus had again crossed over by a boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand, hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet in, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet, can you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and, he, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks, Jamez. Well, tonight, one of our SMB students, Rob, is going to bring us the word. But before he does, we thought we should get to know him a little bit so we have some idea about who he is. So, Rob, can you tell us a bit about yourself, what we might find you doing during the week, if there's a standard kind of week? Well, oh, goodness, I have a loud voice. Um, so, as you might be able to tell by my accent, I am from New Zealand. Uh, so, I apologise in advance for that. If there's anything you... Uh, get confused about what I say, take the safer option. Um, what a regular <laughs> week. How do we know what the safer option is? Well, hopefully, hopefully context will tell. Okay. As Alan Thompson, one of our lecturers says, context is usually the answer. Um, a regular week. So uh, I'm in my second year at SMBC, so a regular week is usually uh, being underprepared for essays and trying to make lectures. <laughs> is, that, is that about right, team? But very prepared as well, doing, doing course, a good job. Of incredibly prepared, I say, as two of my lecturers are here. <laughs> Before you went to SMBC and pursuing partial ministry, yeah. whatever you're pursuing, what were you doing before that? Uh, yeah, so I, as I just said before, I grew up in New Zealand. Uh, before moving to Australia, I worked for a church as a ministry apprentice. Uh, and then before that, I worked for six years as a mechanic. 
Okay, okay. Good, good. Now, if you were going to give a lecture mm. on anything in particular, a lecture on something for an hour, what would you give that lecture on? Well, you get into a conversation with me and you're usually stuck for an hour anyway. But uh, if I was to give a deliberate lecture, uh, it would probably be on either coffee or how to fix a car. Okay. Fixing a car while having coffee? Could that be one? Oh, that, that could work. They're, they're tricky. They're if tricky. you bring me a coffee, I will show you how to fix your car. Okay, good deal. There you go. The cheapest mechanic <laughs> around. Uh, you were telling me before that you became a Christian about 12 years ago, mm-hmm. just after you left high school. In those last 12 years, what things have been significant to you as you've grown in relationship with God, significant to you about who God is in your life? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think the thing I keep coming back to is God's consistency. Like... You think after being a Christian for a long period of time, like as you learn more about God and as you understand more about the Bible and as you kind of grow in your trust and relationship with Jesus, that there would be like massive mind-blowing epiphanies, which there certainly are, but those epiphanies usually point back to things you already know. And so I think just God's consistency has kind of blown me away uh, when so much seems kind of up in the air. Beautiful. There's such a depth to God, isn't there? That's awesome. I'm going to pray for Rob as he brings us the word and pray for us too as we gather around God's word together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We pray tonight as Rob preaches that you will speak through him, that these will be your words. And we do ask for us in the room and across the screen that you'll be working in us by your spirit to be formed into the likeness of Jesus, uh, to live for him in all the things we do, and that to go out from here... um, inspired, challenged, uplifted in who we are as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open or your devices open or whatever you're choosing to use to read God's Word this evening. Please keep it open to Mark uh, chapter 5. And we'll be working through it together. I wonder if any of you guys have felt hopeless. Uh, Maybe something goes wrong. Maybe things blow up in your face. Things don't go to plan. Uh, Maybe plans just fall through. Or maybe you just end up disappointed. For me, uh, it happened when I was younger. I was probably in my last year of high school. Uh, I got my full driver's license, uh, which I was incredibly excited about. It meant I could have a lot of freedom. I could have so much independence. And uh, a group of us, before end of year formal, decided to go, go away for the day, go up one of the local hills, just to kind of get away from everything, kind of, it's the end of the year, classes are finished, let's just kind of relax and enjoy nature. And uh, a group of, group of us went up, I drove one car, my friend drove the other, and on the way back, uh, I realised how foolish I was. Uh, because I didn't realize that when you're driving on gravel roads, you need to be a bit more careful. And so as a way to kind of uh, tease or annoy my friend, I drove very close behind him, not realizing that there was a corner coming up, and as he broke, broke, braked for the corner, uh, I panicked, slammed my foot on the brake, and went straight into the hill. Uh, Fortunately, there was no one hurt, uh, but when I looked outside and looked at the damage, it looked like the front of the car had exploded. There was bumper everywhere, scattered all throughout the road. And as soon as I saw the mess, my heart began to well with dread. 
I wasn't sure what I was going to do. What, what could I do? The car's obviously broken. Uh, where am I going to turn? Could I turn to my parents? I mean, they're going to kill me because the car I crashed wasn't even my car. It was my mother's. <laughs> uh, not a good look. Uh, so as I was thinking about what I could do, worry started to well up within me. How were they going to respond? Were they going to punish me? Were they going to tell me off? Were they going to kick me out of the house for being an awful son? I didn't know what to do. And I felt hopeless because there was no one I could turn to. And I wonder if some of you can empathize with that story. Maybe you've felt hopeless, whether maybe you've crashed a car or you've had breakdowns in friendships or relationships. Maybe you're experiencing worry over potential assessment results, or maybe you don't even know what the future looks like and you're beginning to get worried. In any of these situations, it's easy for us to feel hopeless. In this section of Mark's Gospel, uh, we see Jesus come across three people who are hopeless. We have Jairus, a synagogue leader, an unnamed woman who we know has been bleeding for 12 years, and then Jairus' daughter, who was sick, but then sadly dies. And as we look at these three events, we're going to see that no matter who we are, where we've come from, or the situation that we're in, we are able to trust in Jesus. Before we get into the, today's passage, uh, a little bit of context of what's going on uh, in Jesus' life. Uh, he's been teaching in the area of Galilee. He's kind of been traveling around as like a... Uh, preacher, just healing people and uh, teaching people about God. Uh, before this section, he's cast out a demon, which the local townspeople weren't overly happy about, and they, out of fear, asked him to leave. And we now join the story where Jesus has now crossed a lake and gone back into Galilee, uh, which we see in verse 1, where he says that uh, Jesus, has crossed, Jesus again crossed over the lake by boat to the other side, uh, of the lake, and we see that there's a large crowd gathering around Jesus, uh, which is when we're introduced to Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, a synagogue is kind of like what we're doing right now. It's, it's kind of like a church where the Jewish people would come and gather uh, in order to hear the Old Testament taught uh, and read aloud. And Jairus, he would have been uh, like a leader in one of those churches, not uh, teaching and not uh, with that kind of authority, but he would have been involved uh, to, with the day-to-day -day running of the synagogue. Uh, incredibly important role, one that came with a lot amount of uh, influence in society. And so Jairus would have likely been known by many people uh, in the crowd. And we see in verse 22 that when he sees Jesus, he falls to his feet. Uh, this would have been striking for the people uh, that were gathered around Jesus to see the synagogue leader uh, at Jesus' feet. Uh, he would have been well-respected within the community, and for him to be in that position would have, frankly, been quite embarrassing. You can imagine the crowd looking at Jairus being like, what are you doing? Get up, you're embarrassing yourself. And yet, we quickly find out what the problem is. What has caused Jairus to fall at Jesus' feet? And we see this in verse 23 where we see that Jairus' problem is that his daughter is dying. Jairus has nowhere else to turn. Uh, what began as a shocking sight suddenly takes on a tremendous amount of urgency. If Jesus doesn't come with Jairus now, his daughter 
will die. Jairus isn't just trying to make a scene. He is a father willing to do anything to save his daughter, even embarrass himself in front of this crowd. In his hopelessness, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, begging him just to lay his hands on his daughter so that she will be healed and live. This is an incredible challenge uh, for us, a challenge to not let opinions of others to prevent us from trusting in Jesus. Uh, we live in a time where we're oversaturated with people's thoughts and opinions. I'm sure all of you are aware of how easy it is for outrage to occur because someone has posted a tweet or put something up on Facebook or launched a video on YouTube uh, and suddenly been swarmed with people who disagree with them and it seems as if they've been cancelled overnight. Uh, and it's easy for us to be afraid to kind of stand out in the society, to be unique, to be different. And here we see Jairus as a challenge to people like you and me. Because while he was an influential man, while he was someone who had a lot of respect in society, he didn't let the opinions of others stop him from coming to Jesus. Because he knew that Jesus was his only hope. And we see that Jesus' response to Jairus is to follow him without saying a word, to simply go with him. However, things uh, don't progress quite as smoothly as that. Suddenly the story seems to come to a crashing halt. Uh, in verse 24, we see that the crowd is continuing to press around Jesus, uh, but we see hiding within this crowd is an unnamed woman making her way through the crowd to get to Jesus. And this woman we see in verse 25 has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She is so desperate to be healed that she's spent everything that she's ha she has on doctors to try and heal her, to try and make her better. But instead of getting better, she only got worse. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there were certain rules around who could and couldn't participate in society. Uh, most of these rules have revolved around life, things like uh, blood, death, reproduction, childbirth. And if you're in contact with any of these areas, you would be classified as unclean, uh, where you would be removed from society uh, and banned from uh, worshipping in the temple, that you would be banned from entering the markets, you couldn't go to any social gatherings, uh, you couldn't have your family around, in fact, you couldn't touch anyone out of fear that your condition will be passed on to them. And we don't often hear much about this because the New Testament doesn't often touch on this. It seems like it's more of an Old Testament issue. Uh, and just to be clear, there is a difference between uncleanliness and sinfulness. Uh, typically, uncleanliness would only last for a certain amount of time, uh, maybe uh, a day, a week, uh, 80 days. But that becomes different if you have an infectious disease, something like leprosy, or if you have a disease, a condition that doesn't go away, like bleeding for 12 years. The issue with this woman is that while her bleeding hasn't stopped for 12 years, the worst thing is that she has become an outcast for 12 long years. Of course she would be desperate to be healed. In verse 26, we see that she is so desperate that she was willing to spend everything that she had, unfortunately, to just get worse. 
Not only is she unclean, but she's broke and in a worse condition than ever. She is truly hopeless. In verse 27, we see that this woman has heard about Jesus, heard that he's in town. And maybe she's heard of the miraculous stories he's done, the the healings that he's done, the, the teachings that he's performed. And maybe she thinks that he will help. And so she sneaks into the crowd only to touch his clothes. I imagine she's kind of got her hood up like in a a spy movie or in like Captain America Civil War where they've got a cap on and a hoodie on and it does nothing, but trying to hide from the crowd. And then we see that she manages to touch Jesus' cloak. And immediately, in verse 29, she's healed. Twelve long years of suffering, healed in an instant. In a moment, she is freed from her suffering. What a joyous moment she must have felt. If only for the briefest second, as she sees Jesus stop in his tracks, turn around, and say, who touched me? Taking a look at the disciples for a second, you can imagine that they're quite confused. Uh, They see the large crowd, and they see them all pressing in on Jesus, and then Jesus has the audacity to go, who touched me? You can imagine the disciples being like, everyone, everyone has touched you. How can you ask such a ridiculous question? But in verse 33, we see in a momentous amount of courage, the woman come forward. She falls at his feet and she confesses to everything. Not just that she touched his feet or touched his cloak, but that she was unclean, that she's been bleeding for 12 years. And the reason this is courageous is because she's likely expecting the crowd to lash out at her. After all, she's just made everyone unclean. By her very touch, she's spread her condition to this entire crowd around her. Uh, It would be like someone with COVID catching a train without wearing a mask during peak hours, only to be caught in between stops. The crowd would have been furious at her. She was likely expecting Jesus to look down on her And say to her, woman, what have you done? Do you realize that you have just made everyone unclean? What gave you the right? But he doesn't do that. Look with me to verse 34. Jesus' response, rather than a rebuke, is, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This woman who was an outcast for 12 years is now a beloved daughter. Not only is she clean, but she is now cherished. Not because she touched his cloak, but because she trusted in Jesus. This woman who was helpless is now a beloved daughter. In an instant, her life has been transformed. What a beautiful encouragement for us today, especially for those of us who feel too dirty for Jesus. And you're afraid. You look at yourself and you look at your condition and you look at Jesus and you think of him as so perfect and marvelous and white and you are afraid to come to him because you are afraid that he will turn you away. Look at how Jesus treated this woman while everyone else turned her away, while society rejected her, 
Jesus accepted her. And more than that, he called her his daughter. Speaking of daughters, we should probably get back to Jairus. He's been waiting for a little while. Uh, During this whole encounter, he's been patiently waiting for Jesus to come and touch his daughter. In verse 35, uh, we see that uh, some people from Jairus' home have come to talk to him. And the news isn't good. Jairus' worst fears have come true. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late, Jairus. You didn't get to Jesus in time. You didn't work fast enough. Come home and mourn for your daughter. This would have been life-shattering for Jairus. His efforts were too little, too late. I imagine a wave of hopelessness was about to break over him. Yet before Jairus can lose hope, Jesus butts in. Overhearing what they said, Jesus comforts him and says, Do not be afraid. Just believe. We then see Jesus make his way to the home of Jairus, uh, bringing only Peter, James, and John. When they arrive, they discover in verse 38 that people have already begun to mourn the death of Jairus' daughter. In the first century, this would have been quite a scene. There would have been a large crowd of people uh, because it was expected that you would hire professional mourners to help the family uh, mourn loved ones. It was a part of the grieving process. It was a custom even for poor families to have a minimum of three people uh, to attend and be professional mourners. And for Jairus, who would have been very wealthy, you can imagine that he would have had a large crowd of people, this great uh, chaotic noise of people crying and wailing and causing a commotion over the passing of this little girl. Uh, It is this scene that Jesus walks into. And we see that uh, this scene is, this crowd is a, a group of uh, professional mourners or a group of fakes because as soon as Jesus opens their mouth, they seem to reveal their true colors, turning from crying to laughing. As soon as Jesus says, "Why this child is not dead, but asleep. Now, it's easy to look at this crowd and think that they're foolish or stupid because how could they not know that it's Jesus and he's clearly going to raise this girl up from the dead? But let's take a moment to look at it from their perspective. Uh, They had every right to laugh at Jesus. Oh, sorry, they had every reason to laugh at Jesus. After all, these these people are professionals. Uh, They would be able to tell the difference between someone who was sleeping and someone who had died. Uh, When I was younger, uh, my grandmother passed away, and I could tell, even at a young age, that something was different. You looked at her body, and you could tell that even if you shook her awake, nothing would happen. She was gone. And these people who were professional funeral attenders, they would have known much faster than I would have. But here we see the problem. While these people could recognize a dead person, they couldn't recognize the one who could raise people from the dead. Because of their lack of faith, they're kicked out of the room in verse 40, so that only the parents and the disciples Jesus brought with him were in the room. Uh, And then we see something marvelous happen. In verse 41, we see Jesus walk up to this little girl, grab her by the hand, and say, Little girl, I say to you, get up. 
And immediately, as if waking from a slumber, she stands up and she begins to walk around. She's fully healed. To drive home this point, Jesus asks them to give her something to eat. She's not sick and recovering, unable to hold in food, but she's completely restored. Of course, the people around him are completely astonished. I mean, it's not every day that you see someone raised from the dead. And this is incredible news, not just for Jairus, but for us as well. Because the Bible tells us that we ourselves are dead in our sins. Yet Jesus is able to raise us up as well. We can trust in him because if he can raise a girl up from the dead as if simply waking her up from a nap, he is able to raise us up as well. No matter what things look like on the outside. Because Jairus had faith in Jesus, he was able to be reunited with his daughter again. A hopeless situation completely restored because of Jesus. So that's the encounter. What does that mean for us today? In this story, we were introduced to three people. Jairus, a wealthy, influential synagogue leader. An unnamed woman who was a social outcast who was suffering a great deal from bleeding for 12 years. And then Jairus' daughter, who was dead. In these three events, we are reminded that no matter who we are, whether we're wealthy and influential like Jairus, wounded and outcast like the bleeding woman, Jesus can come to you. He can restore you, even if you're dead. Of course, I need to be careful here. I'm not saying that Jesus will heal us of every sickness or broken relationship. And while I wish I could promise that, he doesn't. He is able to, and he might, but he doesn't promise us that he will restore us in this life. But what he does promise us is something so much greater. He promises that for those who trust in him, he will restore them to himself. And this might seem odd to some of us as we sit here this evening. Maybe you're sitting here this evening and you're wondering why do you need to be restored to God. You think you're pretty good. You're here, aren't you? You attend church. You may even attend every week. You, you go to youth group. You go to uh, Christian events. You are raised Christian. Why do you need to trust in Jesus? The reality is that it's not what we do that saves us. It wasn't Jairus coming to the feet of Jesus and it wasn't the bleeding woman touching the cloak of Jesus that restored them. But it was their faith. And we need to do the same. We need to trust in Jesus. There might be some of you this evening and you feel like a social outcast. You empathize with the bleeding woman. You're afraid to come to Jesus because you're, you think he will reject you too. And if that's you, take encouragement from the woman here. She is the polar opposite of Jairus. While Jairus at least had influence as a synagogue leader, she had nothing. And yet, Jesus accepted her. He calls her daughter. This evening, if you feel like an outcast, if you feel dirty and unclean, you can come to Jesus and know that he will accept you. There might even be some of you who feel like Jairus' daughter. You feel like it's too late for you. You feel like there's no way 
Jesus can help you. There's no way he can change your life. The ship has sailed and you are not on it. Maybe you feel too old, which I say now looking out, none of you are too old. Or maybe you feel like you've wandered too far from Jesus. No matter who you are or where you've come from this evening, you can trust in Jesus. He will not reject you. Trusting in Jesus might look different for each and every single one of us. For some of us, it may mean taking ownership of our faith, not just relying on the faith of our friends and family, but actively working on our faith on our own, trying to make it our own. Uh, Whether that's reading the Bible or maybe whether that's renewing a prayer life or whether that's even being engaged here in church. Whatever it means for you to make your faith your own, to actively trust in Jesus. For others of us, it might mean crying out to Jesus because things are tough. Trusting that he will be able to help you even if the situation seems impossible. And maybe there are some of us that need to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Putting all pride and fear aside and trusting fully in him. And maybe you've never done that before. And if that is you, uh, please may I encourage you to chat to one of the staff. I'm sure they would love to pray for you. When I crashed my mother's car, I was afraid to go to my parents because I thought that they would punish me. I thought that they would look at me and that they would discipline me. But in the end, I had to face the music. It's kind of hard to, face a, to hide a car with a smashed bumper. And I had to tell my parents what I had done. And to my surprise, it seemed like the car didn't matter at all. They were more worried about me. They were more worried about me being okay than the car. And the same thing is true for Jesus. No matter how hopeless things seem right now, we are able to trust him. And he promises that he will not turn us away. Please pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, so much for these words that we've just seen from uh, Mark chapter 5. We thank you so much for the encouragement uh, in knowing that we can come to you no matter what happens in this life. And we do pray that you would help us to trust you when it seems like all hope is lost. And we know that we can only do this with your help. So we do ask for that in the name of Christ. Amen.